grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Christmas is only a week away. And you can already sense some of the anticipation building. In spite of the secularization of our American culture, there is something about Christmas that still remains deeply embedded in our national consciousness. In a very real sense, Christmas represents life itself because it involves that which is true and beautiful, that which is eternal, holy, and divine. It is difficult to imagine America without Christmas, even as corrupted as its observance may have become. And this may explain the visceral reaction that even some nominal or non-practicing Christians have to the things like removal of nativity scenes from the public place or the eliminating of references to Christmas within the public schools. And yet, anti-Christian advocates, armed with excessive political correctness, pluralistic sensitivity, and the claim that the predominance of Christmas is unfair to the non-Christian religions, attempt to remove the very term Christmas from public discourse and to replace it with happy holidays. This leaves many Christians distressed, if not downright livid. Yet, Merry Christmas it is. We say Merry because it is a joyous time for Christians. And our merriness is not simply eggnog-fueled mirth amid family and friends, festive food and gifts. For Christians, the Mary in Merry Christmas is more like the Feliz in Feliz Navidad. Translated most accurately, it is joyous nativity. It reflects that inexplicable happy satisfaction following the long wait of a pregnancy as mother and father hold their infant for the first time. Words cannot express the joy and the wonder that one has when we come face to face with a mystery of new life at the birth of a child. Yes, Christmas is about the nativity of the Christ, for whose birth Mary and Joseph waited those nine long months. And yet God's people, they had waited centuries with hope, and yet still turned away the Savior when he came. It should therefore not surprise us very much that the world, including our American society, does not embrace the Christ of Christmas for who he really is. Even so, no one can wake up on Christmas morning and call it Christmas without confronting the question that Jesus asked Peter. Who do the crowds say that I am? And who do you say that I am? Peter correctly answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now thankfully, we do not have to succumb to the Reformed Church's fear and 
think it is our duty to strive so hard to keep Christ in Christmas. He's there, with or without your help. Without Him, Christmas does not even exist. Yes, you could call it Christmas all you want, but apart from the incarnate God, you would have nothing better than Labor Day or Thanksgiving. Still, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? Jesus went on to explain it to Peter and his disciples. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and killed and on the third day be raised. But why did Peter refer to Jesus as the Christ? What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? To answer this question is to also answer the question, what is Christmas? You know, of course, that Jesus is the human name given to him at his birth by Joseph. The name given at the instruction of the Lord himself through the angel. And it is derived from the Hebrew word Yeshua or Joshua, meaning the one who saves. The word Christ, on the other hand, is a title. It comes from the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed by Yahweh. And so when the angels told the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, he was simply saying, the chosen one has been born to you. This is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the one who had been promised to Adam and Eve after the fall into sin. And he is also the one who was promised to Abraham and to David and to all of God's Old Testament church through his prophets. And amazingly, we hear the Christ, the Anointed One himself, speaking to us in the opening verses of Isaiah 61 from our lesson this evening. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. If there is any question as to whether these verses are referring to Jesus, well, our Lord himself made it unmistakably clear at the beginning of his ministry when he preached in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Imagine, if you will, Jesus standing in front of the congregation reading those words from Isaiah. And then Luke records, Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what was the reaction to these people in the synagogue, to Jesus' words? Well, they drove him out of town, didn't they? And they would have thrown him off a cliff to his death if they'd had their way. And this sad rejection of the Christ was neither the first time nor would it be the last time the Lord's anointed one would be rejected, even now. Jesus' work of salvation ended on the cross. 
where the religious and the political leaders who had rejected him killed the Savior of the world, killed the Chosen One, killed the Christ. The Apostle John tells us, light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Yes, people today will tolerate and they will even embrace a secularized Christmas holiday that is just a winter festival with lights and parties, food and presents, and maybe even some decorated trees. Some may even tolerate a generic and secularized baby Jesus making a brief appearance. Such a Jesus, however, will not be the promised anointed one revealed in the Old and New Testaments. He would not be the Christ of whom the Apostle Paul writes, He gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Ultimately, the cultural war currently waging in America and around the world about Christmas comes down to the question, who do men say that I am? That is, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? The answer to that question is given by the Messiah himself. He is the eternally begotten Son, the one who is speaking to the Old Testament church and to us today in Isaiah 61, the same Christ who preached to his hometown congregation in Nazareth. There the Lord announces, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord had anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Israelite prophets and priests and kings were all anointed when they were placed into their offices. To be anointed is to be given the authority to carry out one's tasks. It is akin to presidents being inaugurated, judges being sworn in, and yes, even pastors being ordained. But Jesus was not placed into the office of Savior of the world by men. He was sent and He was anointed by the Lord God Himself. As we know, St. John tells us, God loved the world in this way, that He gave His only Son. Yes, He who created the whole world sent His eternally begotten Son into the flesh to take on creation itself, that He might restore that fallen creation by offering up His holy and divine flesh on the cross to atone for your sins, my sins, all sins. This same anointed one whom St. John calls the Word was anointed by the Spirit for the divine work that involved his human voice. Note the verbs here from Isaiah. Jesus says that the Spirit anointed me to bring good news, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. You see, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit to preach the Word, both the Word of God's favor, His grace, and the Word of His vengeance, His judgment. Now, there's certainly a lot of law and judgment preached in both the Old Testament and in the New. But in Isaiah 61, the focus is on the fact that the Anointed One is being sent to preach the Gospel, the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from captivity of sin and death, 
and to comfort those who mourn over the wages of sin. In one sense, the year of the Lord's favor refers to the first advent of Christ. That is, those nine months when, in the womb of Mary, He was being knit together to bring salvation through His atoning life and death. And likewise, the day of of vengeance refers to the last day, when our Lord will return to judge the living and the dead. We know that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. But those who reject the offered salvation will face judgment, leading to eternal condemnation. You know, at one time, until Happy Holidays became a lame attempt to take Christ out of Christmas, it was certainly an acceptable, if a non-specific way, to greet the Lord's nativity. For to say Happy Holiday is to say Happy Holy Day. And in reality, apart from the Sundays, Christmas is the only true holy day of the season. It celebrates the day that the eternal only begotten Son of the Father became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. It is the birth of the holy and sinless Lamb of God who came to us to give His life for the sins of the world. And so our season's greetings are happy. They are merry. Because we are confessing what both Isaiah and Jesus proclaimed. Namely, that we are living in the year of the Lord's favor. These are the days, these are the years in which He proclaims to us the good news and binds up our sick and wounded hearts and frees us from the depressing captivity and darkness of sin and death. We are living in the year of the Lord's favor because we've been baptized into Jesus, into the Christ. We've been released from our captivity and we have been clothed with the robe of righteousness. In explaining holy baptism to the Colossians, St. Paul writes this, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so, what was said about the Christ in Isaiah 61 can now be said about us. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Paul echoes this in his writing. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Isaiah goes on to use the imagery of a wedding feast to express the intimate and joyous relationship that the Messiah will bring between God and His people. This has been fulfilled by the coming of Christ and the creation of His bride, the church. The church is none other than the Messiah's holy bride. And our worship, just like that of heaven, is a joyous wedding celebration. Like Christmas, it includes good food, beautiful decorations, and glorious music, all wrapped up in joy and in gladness. A pastor tells the story of a visiting, or of visiting a woman, rather, who refused to come to church to worship. Oh, I love Jesus, she insisted. It's just those people in church that I can't stand. 
The pastor thoughtfully replied, Well, that's sort of like telling Jesus, I love you, I just don't like your ugly bride. Granted, the church does retain its dual nature of being the body of washed and cleansed saints, and yet full of sinners too. But in the eyes of Christ, our bridegroom, she is beautiful and blameless. For your blessing, for your benefit, he who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and anointed by that same Spirit to preach the Word made you a member of His holy and beautiful bride, the church. Here, His Holy Spirit works through the Word to absolve sins and to make disciples of you through baptism and through teaching. And now in place of our sin and our despair, in place of the captivity and desolation brought about by humanity's tragic fall into sin, the Anointed One's life and His Word restores creation. And so a new garden sprouts forth, ready to bloom and to grow the world over. And that is exactly what will happen a week from today when all over the world, faithful Christians once again gather in joy to celebrate the incarnation and birth of the Christ and to praise the Savior of the world. Our joy at this Merry Christmas is in Christ, in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Repeat that sounding joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.